April is National Volunteer Month, so to celebrate, I'm revisiting a previous episode that really spoke to me. Episode number 23, Reap the Rewards of Volunteering. In it, I talk with Claire Babineau-Fontenot, CEO of Feeding America, about the life-changing benefits of volunteering. Listen. Hello and welcome to One Real Good Thing, where we dive into one thing you can do today to propel your life in a healthy direction. I'm Ellie Krieger, and in this episode, I'm talking with Claire Babineau-Fontenot, CEO of Feeding America, the nation's largest domestic hunger relief organization, who is named a Time 2020 Most Influential Person. Her one real good thing is to reap the rewards of volunteering, which are more profound than you might realize. She also shares her very surprising personal story. Listen. Claire Babineau-Fontenot, thank you so much for joining us here today. It is just a joy to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to really, I'm super excited to introduce people essentially to Feeding America if they don't know about it already. So if you could please tell us what exactly is Feeding America? What do you do? (laughs) Feeding America is a network that includes over 200 food banks, over 60,000 agency partners, you know, pantries, meal programs across the country, about 2 million volunteers. Uh, What we do, I would like, I like to refer to it in on two sides. So one of them is feeding the line. And hopefully your audience is well aware of that part of the work that we do, where we work to ensure that people have access to the food that they need for their families, for themselves and their families. So we do that through this vast network. Uh, It is often the case that we are providing food for little small church pantries in a basement and no one in the church even realizes that we're where the food comes from. So vast network. Uh, On the other side of the work that we do, we often refer to it as shortening the line. So we work with state houses and city halls and, and and Congress and the White House to ensure that policies that can help people experiencing food insecurity are are put in place and are fortified. So one that often comes to mind for people would be SNAP as an example. So we advocate heavily on SNAP and making certain people get access to, to SNAP benefits. We also have a part of our work that most people don't know about, which would be, um, Many of our member food banks across the country have workforce development programs like culinary arts programs where they and they often target, in fact, focus explicitly on um, underserved communities, people who would struggle to find employment and they find employment with us. They find training and employment sometimes with us. We also do logistics training because we have warehouses across the country. And we train people to work inside of those warehouses or to work in any warehouse that they might choose. We help people with CDL licenses because we've got lots of trucks. So what's what's CDL? CDL. CDL. um, Oh, commercial driver's license. I think might be what it is. That makes sense. Yeah. 
And in case people don't know, um, when you refer to SNAP, that's kind of, that's what food stamps, that those are food yeah. stamps, but it's called SNAP. I think many people might not be aware of that. So, so you're doing that political advocacy and you're all, which is so important to shortening the line, as you say, I love that way of perceiving it. Yeah. And also shortening the line by giving people jobs and helping cultivate skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. So our, our members live in the communities that they serve. And, and we, as a network, really endeavor to be good neighbors in every sense of the word. And I'm very proud that I get to be associated with all of these extraordinary people across the country and in Puerto Rico, by the way. So I am, I am also proud of being a neighbor in this regard. And I know in my neighborhood on 116th Street, very nearby is a place that I volunteer through Feeding America because I'm part of the Feeding America Entertainment Council, which is a volunteer position that is um, involved with promoting the work that you do for Feeding America, helping create awareness of hunger in America and the issues of hunger in America. And it's especially meaningful to me to be able to go into my neighborhood and help people. I mean, it's remarkable. And we're going to get more into the one real good thing, which is to reap the rewards of volunteering, which I personally feel so passionate about. But before we actually launch into that, I do want to ask you about your interesting path in becoming the CEO of Feeding America, of this incredible organization. And, and your path is very interesting and, and moving as well. So if you could share that with us, if you're willing to. I'd be happy to, but um, okay. So first I want to say a little bit more about what you've been up to. You say it as if that's you and occasional every now and then. You, you not only have used your, your brand, your voice in service of your community, but also your hands um, you not only help right there in your neighborhood, but you've been a volunteer at both of our food bank with both of our food bank partners serving New York City. So I just needed to stop at least for a minute uh, and say thank you so much for all that you do with us and, and for and in service to your community. So I appreciate it. Now, you mentioned I have. Uh, I have an interesting family story. I think I think everybody would agree that it's it's pretty interesting. It's certainly not typical. Um, so I will maybe quickly go through my career, but then I want to talk about who I really am. Maybe is that all right with you? Yes, that would be great. Right. So what I have done. So uh, grandparents on both sides were sharecroppers. Neither had the opportunity to go to school at all. Parents, brilliant like their mothers and fathers before them, did not have an opportunity to graduate high school. And yet, I was able to graduate high school and then go to college and then to law school. And then I often tell people, the one my mom never quite understood is that I have an LLM, which means I have a second law degree. And she was known to say behind my back, well, what was wrong with the first one? So <laughs> I have, I have, I have, I have uh, so I'm, I'm a lawyer by training. I've worked in litigation most of my career. Uh, well, a lot of my career, I should say. Uh, so I worked in private practice. I worked in government. I specialized in tax and I, uh, worked in big four accounting, 
worked at Fortune One, and and then uh, I had a huge life event, which now will take me all the way back to the personal, if you don't mind. So something that makes my background truly unique is certainly my professional path was unique for my family, but my my family is unique. Um, when in in before I was even born, my mother uh, found out that there were these two little babies who were uh, struggling and, and suffering under the weight of neglect and abuse and malnutrition in a neighboring town. And while my dad was away at work, she went and picked those babies up and she brought them home. And he got home and his family had doubled. And um, over the course of their lives together, they became mom and dad to 108 children, including the very, very, very grateful and privileged me. <gasps> My goodness. 108. My I goodness. 108 children. So um, as excited as I am that I have the opportunity to talk to this audience, I will tell you, I already know what is the pinnacle of my opportunities to speak for my lifetime. It will be that I provided the keynote address when my parents were inducted into the National Adoption Hall of Fame. So, yes. I have shivers up my spine. So that is just incredible. And what an example, what an example for you, what an example for all of the children, what an example for all of us. Yes. I agree. I absolutely agree. And in fact, I've had people from time to time tell me, oh, you need to write a book. And usually when they're saying that, they're talking about me writing my parents' book, not me writing my book. <laughs> but they'll say, oh, that is so laudable. I said, what? I, no, no. I was one of the people that they had to take care of. I wasn't taking care of anybody. You understand? They were the ones. Um, so throughout the course of my whole life, I've always understood that hunger is here. I've, I've had brothers and sisters my whole life join our family who were struggling in ways that people just don't think about that kind of struggle in this country because we are so fortunate as a country. We have such abundance in this country. I think often the narrative that we have for ourselves is one in which there is no want or there is no need and I've always known that was not true. So when I decided I was going to be a lawyer, I was actually a little girl and no one was surprised that I decided I was going to be a lawyer. In fact, my dad, when I told him I'd be a lawyer, he said, that makes perfect sense. You argue all the time. <laughs> that way, somebody will pay you to do it. Um, but, but my imaginings, my dream was that I was going to be the type of warrior that helped to be a voice for children like my brothers and sisters. And I became a tax lawyer. That wasn't the plan. And I kept on getting these chances to do all these extraordinary things my whole career. The last time I applied for a job was 1989. I just kept getting tapped on the shoulder. Why don't you think about this? This would be a great opportunity for you. And I kept saying yes to all of those opportunities. And fast forward, I found myself at Walmart where yet again, someone had tapped me on the shoulders. I'd been their outside counsel and they said, well, we've got this role in tax. Why don't you come in 
and do that. And I said yes to that. And and life kept on moving along. I thought I had a whole lot of time. And then I went to my executive physical and I planned that it would be on my birthday so that I wouldn't forget because I kept forgetting to take my physical. So on this particular birthday, uh, I learned that I had cancer. And then everything changed. And I say that I do have a book inside of me, but it's not my parents' book. Mine would probably, if I had a title, if I could decide on a title already, it would be Ugly Packages. And if you can imagine uh, a present and it's the paper is all crumpled up, but some kind of thing, and I'm not an artist, but something emanates from the packaging and you can tell there's something really cool and shiny on the inside. Uh, one of the greatest gifts of my life was my cancer. Because had I not had it, there's no way I would enjoy the privilege of being the CEO of Feeding America. I would have come up with all kinds of reasons not to leave Walmart. Uh, I would have kept doing what I was doing. And, uh, and in the middle of this pandemic, when so many people have struggled to figure out is there goodness in the world? It's one of the big questions that other people ask. And I don't have to ask. I get answers to it all across the country in blue states and red states and purple states. I, I get answers to that question all the time. Uh, can I be helpful is another question I would imagine. People sitting at their houses, especially during the shutdown, like, how could I be helpful? I don't, I know I can be helpful. Um, I, I wake up in the morning trying to be helpful every day. You know you can be helpful. You come out and help us to be helpful. <laughs> We're helpful together. So greatest gift in my professional life by far is well, the privilege of being in this role. Well, that's just an incredible story. And I'm so glad you're here with us, healthy and, and in this role of being a helper as you were, I'm sure before in other ways, but this is different. You know, this is embracing it more in terms of your whole life mission. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it really does lead to this one real good thing, which is to reap the rewards of volunteering. Because even the way you're saying it, is there goodness in the world? This question that people ask, how can I be helpful? Um, what is the meaning of my life? How can I contribute? And these are the rewards of volunteering as I see them. It's interesting. And I appreciate you recognizing me as a volunteer in my community, but I have to say that I get more out of it than I give. And it's remarkable. It was a really eye-opening thing to me because I feel like, oh, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to be helpful in the world and try to you know, volunteer and almost like I'm doing a favor for others, which I sort of am, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it's really, I wound up walking away with so much more myself. Yes. That is why I am such a proponent of others, of encouraging others to go out and volunteer in their community. Because what you get out of it, what I, I can speak for my own personal experience, I feel there's a sense of potentiation so I walk around in New York City, it's very hard to ignore the fact that people are struggling. I mean, maybe in other parts of the country, you can kind of drive by the neighborhoods that you don't want to go near, you know, the highway overpasses that. But in New York City, you're faced with it every single day, really in your face. 
Um, and I, I'm acutely aware of the need. And to be able to do something about it is to be able to literally not feel helpless, yeah. feel helpful is a gift. That is. is a gift to the volunteer to be able to feel helpful. And also, I think there's an element of that, of just getting out of your own darn head. <laughs> because we all have struggles. We all have stresses. We all have things that we're striving for that are disappointing or whatever. We're all kind of faced with our own struggles regardless. And I think it's easy to get sucked into that like a vortex. And when you start to volunteer and you step into your community and you engage with your community and you engage with people, suddenly you're not sucked into your own little head and your own world and your own little problems. And it really is transporting in that way. And that's a gift too. And this is my own personal experience with it. So I'd love to hear what you perceive beyond, um, beyond that, or maybe adding to that. Yeah. As, well, I, as I, the rewards of volunteering. Oh, I certainly agree with everything that you said. And what I find absolutely extraordinary about volunteering is how people consistently receive satisfaction, right? So I use an expression, the giver receives, right? The giver always receives. So it receives satisfaction, but it, it has a remarkable way of kind of curating to what it is that your heart needed that day, right? Um, so there are all kinds of isms that exist in the world that volunteering can really help you through. Like, I'll give you an example. So there's this concept, uh, which is a regrettable concept in, in our country of earned hunger, right? Well, you know, so those people who are standing in that line, they're there because they didn't do what I did. You know, I've, I've earned what I have and they've earned what they what they have. So there's this, this sympathy that sometimes comes along with that says, well, you know, poor things. Let me let me help them. But then there's something really powerful when you actually get to know people who are in the line. And I have had the benefit of meeting thousands of people across the country uh, who, with whom I get a chance to engage sometimes it, it, based upon whether or not they're inclined to. And so many of them will tell me things that that would that just dispel myths. Like they'll say things like during the pandemic, you know, I have volunteered at this food bank for 10 years. And had I not lost my job because I worked at a hotel and my husband worked at the same hotel, we both lost our jobs at the same time. And had I not lost my job, had he not lost his job, I would have been serving this line I didn't imagine myself being inside of it and the empathy that comes from that. And I hope that during the pandemic, that one of the silver linings of the dark clouds of the, of the pandemic will be that people can actually see themselves in the line because they say, well, what if, what if all those things happen to me? How long would it take me to be in that line? So there's that part. Um, but the other kind of thing is a myth like, oh, you know, people who are in that line, they don't work hard. And then you meet a mom who has two jobs, two jobs and two children, cannot make ends meet. And she, with her head down, goes to that line, not because she wants 
to have to do it, but because she will do what she must in order to feed her children. So there's a certain brand of awareness type of, of cultural sensitivity and awareness that you get from volunteering too. I'm, I'm a better human being, not because I chose to volunteer, but because of what I've learned as a volunteer. And I'm, I'm grateful for that too. Same here. Same here. Absolutely. I mean, it becomes like human beings, not just some yes. stereotype. <laughs> and yes. so it is really remarkable to connect with actual human beings in this way. Um, so how can people volunteer in their community? So what I love about Feeding America is it is an, a national organization. I love that you're doing this essential kind of work um, within government policy and so on, which address would address a lot of these issues of uh, a woman working two jobs and not being able to feed her kids. Yeah. Um, so, but not even going there uh, with beyond that mention, what can people do? So it, you're in a national organization, but also a very local organization. So people can support Feeding America by literally probably crossing the road, right? Yes. <laughs> Essentially. Exactly. So how, how can they get involved? How can people get involved in their communities? I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> Thank you very much. So if you were to go to feedingamerica, one word, .org, there are lots of things that you can do there. One of the things is you can learn more. So knowledge truly is power. So there are lots of things that you can learn about hunger in America. That's an important part of what we would ask of people. And then whatever community it is that you love, if there's a food bank locator on that website and you just put in the zip code to a community that you care about. And there is a member of the Feeding America Network that's serving that community, guaranteed. I say, we are everywhere, every county, every parish that hunger is. And being as that is every county and every parish in the whole United States of America, that means we serve wherever you care. So you get to serve too. So I like to ask people things like, let's imagine, I have ideas, ladies, gentlemen, whomever who's listening, if you're trying to think about how do I do something special for my significant other? Well, you might say, okay, I am going to volunteer in the town where we met. Put in, go into the food bank locator, put in the zip code, it'll pop up. The town that you met is being served by this member. There's probably a pantry across the street from the park where you two had your first date, <laughs> wherever that is, or where you went to school or where you were born or where you've lived your whole life. Uh, there's a member that's serving that community and you get to serve the community too. So feedingamerica.org, food bank locator, put in zip code, a name will pop up, call that extraordinary team serving that community. And I promise you, they will have some ideas. <laughs> they will have yeah. some ideas. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And well, and thank you for that. And we'll also have a link to feedingamerica.org on my website uh, on the page for this podcast. So people can go there as well. And, um, and thank you so much. I am so inspired to hear your story. 
I'm so inspired. I'm constantly inspired to volunteer with Feeding America. And I appreciate and value the work you do so much. And I really appreciate you being here to share your story with us because my mind is literally blown by it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, thank you. Can, can I give you one more mind-blowing item? Yes, bring okay. it. So I'm going to, so I know, um, I, I don't know, we didn't talk about the specific jobs that I had, but when I was at Walmart, I was executive vice president of, in finance and treasurer. So numbers person, right? So I want to throw out a couple of numbers. Will you allow me to throw out a few numbers? Please. Okay, so I want people to remember that here we are in the middle of a global health pandemic, right? And there's a food crisis going alongside it. Our network during that time had to completely change the distribution model. It used to be that people would come to us. We needed to come to where people were. We did these uh, low or no contact distributions. And there were supply chain issues. A primary source of donations for us would be retail. So if you see an empty store shelf, if they've got nothing to sell, they've got nothing to give. So that means we're getting hit by that. So we're out there having to buy more food, having to compete with big retailers in order to try to get access to food. So all of that's going on. Just want to give the context. During this pandemic, since the pandemic started, our network, so that includes you, ma'am, and it also <laughs> includes anyone else who has touched our network and any of you who will touch our network in the future. Guess what we got done? Over 11 billion meals, over 11 billion meals in the middle of a global health pandemic with all of the other things that are going around, going on. So many people stepped up. Our primary source of, um, of help, if you will, to get those meals out are volunteers. We have far more volunteers than we have staff across the country. So we definitely need people to continue with this work. And, and I, my biggest concern during the pandemic was I, I was pleased to see that our network was getting the notice that they deserved, mostly because of what that means for people experiencing food insecurity. So there's a heightened awareness of the issue. My biggest concern was that those long lines were just going to go back inside of buildings. And that when they did, that people would assume they had actually gone away. Uh, they haven't gone away. Tens of millions of people out there, your neighbors, who some of them don't look as you might imagine someone looks when they're food insecure. Uh, there is no one look to food insecurity in this country. Uh, so tens of millions of people in our country are food insecure. And you get a chance to be a part of helping and and I hope, I hope you will. Yes, I think um, we have probably inspired a number of new volunteers from after listening to this. Thanks. I hope that anyway. I certainly hope so too. And thanks again for all that you do. We appreciate you and every single one of the people who invest in our work because you're investing in your community. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope to see you in person soon. Me too. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you're inspired to volunteer in your community. Go to elliekrieger.com to learn more about Feeding America and join me next time for another One Real Good Thing.